Greetings, friends. My name is Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It's after Asian markets close, and welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia-Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. And today we are going to talk about the U.S. dollar getting crushed. DXY, the dollar spot index, cracks below 100 to a 15-month low, and therefore pretty much any, anything and everything else in green and red blinking ticker land is rallying. And so we basically have... U.S. headline CPI figures that came out not only just lower than previous and not just lower than expectations, but came in lower than Japan's current latest CPI reading, okay? And so what does that mean for the Bank of Japan policy meeting at the end of this month? So I'm going to talk about that, and then I'll also give an update on market price action amidst this sharp global flight out of USD into Asia currencies, for example, the vicious short covering in the Japanese yen, as well as an update on the Chinese yuan, which finally finds a floor for now. And how all of this relates to broader global cross-asset markets over the past several days of this dollar reversal underway. Okay, so right off the bat, take a look at this super crazy thing. Okay, so this is the latest Japan headline CPI inflation rate of 3.2% headline that was released in late June. And here is U.S. CPI for June 2023 that was just released. 3% headline inflation rate. As of current, Japan has a higher inflation rate than the United States does. Super crazy thing. And it's not like some, you know, rogue freak occurrence of some, like, odd one-off technicality or something. Like, the broader trend has been Japan inflation rising while the U.S. has been falling. They cross paths to where now the rate of U.S. consumer prices are disinflating against the rate of Japan consumer prices that are rising. Yes, I know that this is the U.S. CPI for the month of June versus Japan's latest reading, but this is for the month of May, and we're still waiting for Japan's June CPI to come out. Yes, I also know that this is headline CPI and not core, for which U.S. is still higher than Japan, although that's also converging towards Japan core as well. And yes, it may just be a temporary thing, but this is why I need to take this opportunity to make note of this just in case it is temporary. And what's super crazy, Japan's CPI has exceeded the United States while the U.S. Fed has ripped interest rates aggressively higher and while the Bank of Japan is actively still easing, okay? Now, this isn't exactly like a rare occurrence either though okay because this actually happened a few years ago as well and so that is worth revisiting so this is a chart of headline cpi for the u.s in green and japan in red for the upper chart and then the inflation rate differential of the u.s cpi minus japan cpi for the for the bottom chart okay in the bottom chart when that's positive right and that's green that essentially means that the U.S. is having higher inflation rate than Japan. And then when it's negative or when it's red, that's the U.S. having a lower inflation rate than Japan. And here we are as of yesterday's 3% inflation print coming in below Japan's latest print of 3.2% for a minus 0.2% differential or spread. Okay, now... You'll notice here that there was a time back in 2014 when Japan's CPI was more than 2% above the, the U.S., okay? But you'll also see that that only lasted for like a momentary flash phenomenon, and then it quickly reversed, okay? So what was that all about? So first, if you just look at just the upper chart, that yellow circle, note that this was indeed Japan inflation, 
that was surging upwards and surpassed the U.S. that caused that spread to go negative into the red. As opposed to, say, Japan inflation standstill and the U.S. is in, like, downright deflation or something like that, that would cause that same negative differential um, chart, right? So what that initially was was when the Bank of Japan Governor Kuroda kicked off Abenomics in 2013 with his first massive QE bazooka blast. But that accelerated Japan CPI spike and then subsequent immediate crash in April 2014, that was because then Prime Minister Abe did a very super stupid thing and increased the consumption tax in Japan, thinking that Japan's consumer economy would be strong enough to handle it. And in fact, it was like his way of showing and just putting on display that Japan's consumer was like resilient. And of course, the Japanese consumer was absolutely not at all at that point. And so that spike and crash in Japan's API for April 2014, that was consumers rushing out to buy things before a 2% tax hike and then not buy things thereafter. And by things, I mean like like consumer staples, like food even, things that you're going to have to buy with this you know, tax hike in place soon, shortly thereafter anyway. But that was the, how fragile the mentality, the deflationary mentality still remained in Japan at that point. So Abe basically shot his own Abenomics in the foot by self-imposing austerity onto a very fragile Japanese consumer just coming out of its decades of hibernation. And that consumptive tax hike put Japan into recession. You know, a, a year into an otherwise kind of successfully working Abenomics policy until then. Okay, And so it's important to note the context of that because that part of that chart with that deep U.S. to Japan negative inflation spread, yeah, that was for completely different reasons and circumstances versus today's, but it also has similarities and applicable lessons uh, to read from. Primarily, which is that the Japanese consumer is incredibly price sensitive, be it prices of goods and services themselves, or any additional cost on prices, such as a higher consumption tax, or, say, higher interest rates on credit cards, on loans, on mortgages, on financing of any kind, okay? And this is why the Bank of Japan is currently purposely dragging their feet on any sort of tightening policy change. Not the only reason, but this is one of them, okay? They need to make absolutely certain that they're not prematurely killing off momentum which, once lost, can take years or decades of even more extreme measures to to revive back to just to get even, if they could even get there at all. So before they dare tighten anything on the consumer, they need evidence that the consumer mindset is like a behavioral shift that had indeed changed kind of permanently, and it's not some, like, temporary thing, okay? And so a lot of you have been asking me, what the implications for this like U.S. to Japan CPI flip has uh, for Bank of Japan policy, in my view, if any at all, right? And it seems to me that I'm being asked this with sort of kind of like an implied tone that leans towards, does this add more like hawkish pressure on the Bank of Japan to tighten and, and do so sooner, okay? So my personal take on this, broadly speaking, is there likely aren't any implications from like a relative CPI measure on Bank of Japan policy decisions, okay? Because as I've always said, and I'm always trying to remind people of, the Bank of Japan 
marches to the beat of its own drum. It doesn't do or not do anything because other central banks are or aren't doing something, okay? By which I mean Japan has been in a state of monetary easing in some form for decades straight consecutively this whole time. Current policy for Bank of Japan, right? The negative policy rate at the front end and then yield curve control, that was rolled out in 2016 and has remained in place since then. It's approaching seven years now. You could call policy unchanged, right? Like small tweaks here and there to your yield curve control. The, the policy still exists by, by and large, right? In the meantime, however, the Fed, they've hiked, they've cut, they've done massive QE, they've hiked again, and they've done QT, and now it's looking like they're approaching the end of this hiking cycle and potentially cutting. All of that's going on. Meanwhile, Bank Japan hasn't changed policy throughout all of that. It just stayed ongoing with this easing regime in accordance with what it feels is appropriate or necessary for Japan in isolation of itself. And it's never acted on a relative basis to others or to the world at large, okay? So, US CPI being lower than Japan's is irrelevant to Bank Japan's policy decisions, in my view. But if there were to be any sort of influence of the Bank of Japan policy from having a higher CPI than the United States, it would actually be to further remain dovish rather than having to adjust more hawkish. Because if there were any relative policy pressure at the, at the moment, right, it would be policy divergence, right, in which the Bank of Japan is the standalone outlier, still easing, and the rest of the world is aggressively tightening over the last year and a half. So now a soft US CPI print would imply that policy divergence widening is also going to stop and potentially the u.s would converge back to where the standstill boj has been this whole time and thereby return to policy alignment so that means in that scenario sovereign bond yields would come down as investors would stop selling bonds and would be buying them instead and therefore the bank of japan would no longer has to be like the only perpetual buyer of jgbs for unlimited quantity right that also means that sovereign yield spreads would also narrow and then that means that dollar yen, euro yen, and other yen cross rates would stop surging to multi-decade highs based on yield spreads. Also, Japan's current inflation, it's not like some Japan-only matter, right? It, this is a global inflation matter, obviously, right? And Japan's just getting swept up alongside the rest of the world and to a far lower degree of inflation than its peers of that, albeit with a lack. And so if all that is indeed the case, then the Bank of Japan, who has been very resolute with being the lone outlier, um, you know, having been challenged like never before in this past year, you know, fighting tooth and nail to remain policy unchanged, you know, over the global tightening regime, right? Now, with finally, with like a light at the end of the tunnel, the Bank of Japan wouldn't start tightening now, right? Based on downtrend and drop in U.S. CPI, the Bank of Japan would just need to remain on hold as it has been for seven years and just hang in there for, there for just a bit longer and things will kind of normalize back to the easing regime of the Bank of Japan that finds itself permanently in, okay? And as we can all see, at least thus far, Bank of Japan does not change policy based on its own 2% CPI target, whether it's attained or not. So, certainly isn't going to be doing anything based on some other region's CPI either, okay? So just because we now have data convergence, and assuming that if it even continues, 
but that really doesn't have anything to do with policy convergence in accordance. But that doesn't mean that's how markets will interpret and behave either, though. Okay, And so it will be very interesting if that's how the policy convergence front plays out in markets, if that actually does occur. And some of that might be occurring right now with the yen. Now, let me be clear. I am currently not making a view on the July Bank of Japan policy meeting outcome about a change or no change or whatever. Okay, I have no call as of yet on that matter, and I won't have a view until we get closer, like as in like a day or two out from the meeting, because I need to see where 10-year JDB yields are going into that meeting, and there's still a lot of time between now and then. Um, because amidst the global bond rally and the yield collapsing that's going on this week, JGB yields actually went against the global tide and rose. They actually had gotten within like reaching distance of the 50 basis point upper band cap. And the reason this is happening is, in part, this is like, you know, the Widowmaker trade shorting JGB is coming back as of late um, as some of the yield curve control change speculation has been revived, okay? And so that brings me to market price action um, on, on this turn in the dollar lower or the surge in the yen that's currently underway. Just, just more broadly speaking, okay, across asset classes this week in the aftermath of the U.S. CPI data release, Yes, we're seeing large risk-on moves in equities. Um, we're seeing a bid in rates with yields getting slammed down and, and all of that, and, you know, commodities rising. But FX currencies has been and you know is the standout asset class because USD is getting crushed by basically every other currency pair following that weaker-than-expected CPI reading out of the U.S. But again, that is with the exception of two currencies which didn't actually have as much impact as one would expect upon this far weaker than expected CPI reading and this global, you know, non-dollar rally. The Japanese yen and the Chinese yuan. And why did they underperform the rest of their global peers upon this CPI release out of the U.S.? Because, as followers of the Market Death podcast already know, the dollar had already been getting crushed for the past several days against the yuan and the yen in particular, as per my previous episodes of Market Depth, in which I discussed spot USDJPY move downwards, that has been driven by yen futures short covering and also monthly options expiry volatility triggered by US non-farm payrolls day last week on Friday. Okay, so you guys already know that. So let's just pick up from that point and do a quick update on the yen strength of this week, which has been pretty notable. This is an intraday chart of yen futures upon the U.S. CPI release. And so you can see the reaction and the volume. And then here is the daily trading volumes and open interest on yen futures and options on yen futures for that day. And, you know, this is that spike in trading volume that's corresponding to the U.S. CPI release day. And so you can see that, you know, indeed, this CPI move in spot dollar yen was yen futures driven move and so as i discussed in previous episode all of this has just been a continuation of an ongoing short covering happening in yen futures um as well as exiting in options on yen futures on elevated trading volumes and all that really began the prior friday when u.s payrolls data had triggered this cross-asset jolt in volatility to futures markets, as well as monthly options expiry that same day on Friday. And that had kicked off 
this like fairly swift, sharp yen future short covering over the course of the week that led to a four percent drop in dollar yen off of its year date highs in just just a few days, right? And so by the time we got to CPI release day, like yeah, the, there was some more strength yen strength, but that's why there wasn't as pronounced a move, let alone a sustained one relative to the other currency pairs in the post-CPI release moment. Because we already had like a 4% head start, you know, over several days leading into this. Now, maybe if this pre-CPI like short covering hadn't been occurring, perhaps you might have seen all of this, this entire move condensed into a major intraday move in the yen. You know, like a, a potential 3 or 4% single-day move in dollar-yen from a genuine forced short squeeze on yen futures. Um, and, you know, given that, like, the Aussie dollar, for example, made a 2% intraday move off of U.S. CPI, and given, that, given the actual and realized 4% move in, what, three days on yen futures that had taken place... That's why I'm saying it's a single day, three or four percent yen rally could have very well happened. And if that had happened all condensed into one trading day as opposed to spread out over like three to four days, which is still a very big move for a very short period of time on the end, but all at once may have actually been too much too quickly and wreaked havoc across markets. Like another massive front end US Treasury yield curve plunge in March 2023 style and the kind of ensuing volatility. Or just a very blindingly fast price indiscriminate yen carry trade unwind that hits risk assets downwards. I mean, we never, we'll never know, but of course, it's very possible. So we can kind of thank that weird Friday non-farm payrolls and monthly options expiry volatility that kind of pre-opened the release valve in a very crowded yen short position that had been that had existed. All right, so let's just go back to this post-CPI reaction um, across the Asia currency crosses against the dollar. So basically everything had rallied versus the USD or USD had dropped versus everything. Very sharp move in Aussie dollar strength, as I mentioned. We also got the Korean won strength as well. Um, and by the way, this chart captures the Bank of Korea rate decision late for, you know that, that occurred uh, later in which the Bank of Korea was on hold as expected, guiding for keeping rates elevated. And then I just went over why the relatively, you know, relatively tepid dollar yen drop as a post-CPI reaction. But then note this, USDCNH, the Chinese yuan. Dollar yuan did fall as well, right? The dollar did weaken against yuan upon that um, CPI release, but not too much of a move at all. Now, yes, technically CNY is you know, pegged to the dollar. So it's not, it won't make a giant move in either direction just by structure, I suppose. And yes, the yuan also has been on, you know, a reversal to strengthen over the previous days as well, although nowhere near to the magnitude of the yen reversal rally move. But considering all that, as like a 0.3% drop in the dollar against the Chinese yuan is pretty, you know, measly given the 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 size of the global FX moves that had occurred. And so that suggests that the Chinese yuan isn't exactly on a rip-roaring recovery rally either, relatively speaking. 
again, just for a comparison, here's the dollar drop versus the yen. And then versus the Korean won. And then versus the Aussie dollar. Now, the yuan has indeed been strengthening over the past few days, but I wouldn't really call it strengthening as I would call as as much as like stopped weakening. Because as you all know, my thesis on China's immediate term priority to stabilize the yuan downside above anything else, very much including large-scale stimulus measures that are badly needed, right? That's becoming pretty clear that that's what's actually going on, right? What the prerogative is, right? And so if you're getting a very broad-based, sharp USD sell-off on one side, and at the same time you're getting China firing, firing away on all fronts to support the yuan with, like, daily fixing stronger and so on and so forth, right? You're getting both of those forces working together in the same direction for USD down, CNH up, right, simultaneously. And with all of that, you, you only get – you're only getting, like, a 1% move off of the lows, you know – that, so that kind of very like paltry movement, it can suggest a few things. But what I'll say from like a trading perspective is that this relatively small upside, um, that suggests that there isn't a yuan short squeeze taking place like there was like there is on the Japanese yen, meaning that the year to date selling that's been crushing the yuan to almost break you know a new fifteen year low that we've been seeing all year as the reopen trade is getting rapidly priced out. The lack of short squeezing underway now would suggest that all of the, the previous sell pressure had been long selling. In other words, capital flight out of the yuan as opposed to an active short position, you know, crowding that's contributing to the downside year to date, right? And also in line with a tepid recovery rally, it also suggests that there are, there's not exactly a rush to buy what some may see as a currently undervalued and attractive currency. And again, we have the, same, the the yen to compare with, right? The yen move isn't like purely short covering and position exiting only. There are certainly new long, new yen longs being put on currently. For whatever reason, it, it may be be a part of a Bank of Japan yield curve control trade, or uh, you know, just Japan corporates repatriate, whatever it is, just buying lows upon a turnaround, you know, momentum, right? Whatever the reason is, there are new longs being put into the yen, but there's not a lot of rushing in to sell USD and to buy long yuan, right? Again, so that's in line with the long selling year to date thing that I just mentioned, or the you know fleeing out of the yuan year to date, because capital's fleeing out of the yuan, it's likely not going to be coming to dive back in anytime soon, if ever again. Now we've gotten a lot of talk and symbolic economic support out of China this week, but that's about it—just talk and symbol and symbolism, right? And so it's basically continued nothing of material you know difference for economic stimulus or help. For example, Premier Li meeting with like the executives of the big tech firms. Hang Seng Tech Index is up double digits on the week. But then this support to like the Alibaba's 10 cents and whatever, this is <laughs> this is the supposed to now come from local governments, like putting the onus on local governments, right? As if they don't have enough on their of their own issues on, and their hands completely tied as is, right? So basically it's nothing of material turnaround there. Or take the PBOC, pledging financial support of the property sector earlier this week, right? Um, and then the property stocks rally. But what exactly does financial support entail? Well, there's currently an existing loan program in place by the PBOC for property developers. And as you can see, it's obviously not having any positive effect. And so what the PBOC means by like extending f f you know, financial stimulus support, 
unveiled this week is that they're literally just going to extend that program that was set to expire from this year. They're going to extend it to expire next year. So quite literally more of nothing. But in terms of actual actions taken, PBOC, which, as you know from my previous episodes over the last two weeks, has been setting uh, stronger daily yuan fixes every single morning um, and who have been net draining liquidity on seven-day reverse repo to the tune of over a trillion yuan out of the system, as discussed special guest Michael Howell of Cross Border Capital last Friday. The PBOC today had actually flipped back to liquidity injections, okay? Perhaps because they're feeling that they can restart providing net liquidity as the yuan finally started to stabilize and find bottom over the past few days. Not, not that two days of like flipping back to net liquidity in, injections on seven-day reverse repo is a major stimulative measure by any means, but at least it's directionally not you know draining liquidity for now. But let's see what happens on Monday out of China because Monday we have first of all we have like a slew of data. Okay, we have uh, Q2 GDP, we have retail sales, industrial production, fixed uh, asset investment, and approximately zero of those I really care too much about. Um, unless there's significant beats the upside, and only then I only care if markets care and therefore move. But what I am actually looking at on Monday out of China is if and how much in liquidity they'll they'll add to the 100 billion in one-year MLF medium-term lending facility that they'll be rolling over. Okay, recall last month they made a very much expected 10 base point cut to the one-year MLF rate. And then they also injected a fresh, what, $37 billion in liquidity uh, as well upon upon doing that. But since then, over the back half of this month, as I keep mentioning, they began draining liquidity via seven-day reverse repo, right? So if they just roll over that $100 billion expiring and provide nothing in addition of liquidity, that that's maintaining this recently begrudgingly hawkish liquidity stance. Um, and that would certainly negate the tiny bit of seven-day reverse repo liquidity that they injected this week. Now, um, I want to just end on pointing out Michael Howell, who made an extremely, extremely well-timed call on the dollar to drop and the yen and yuan to rally, you know, as a signal of a backroom deal of sorts that Secretary um, Janet Yellen had struck with the Chinese leadership during her meetings in China which were taking place at the exact time that he and I were filming the episode, okay? But I come back to the point, what traders and investors need to look at in the next few days is really the path of the US dollar. That's going to be key. And I think that you know, my expectation is you're going to start to see in the next few weeks signs of a weaker dollar. And I think that will almost cement the fact or confirm the fact that there is a deal, a Sula Tabla deal, which has been done here. We're in a situation where... Uh, dollar strength cannot go on. My what Michael Howell was talking about with weaponizing the yen, just given how markets had performed immediately following um, his call, it you don't have to agree with his thesis, but it definitely deserves your consideration to at least hear, right? And to understand what it is that you're disagreeing with, right? Just based on how he nailed that call that timing for the dollar to drop against the yuan and the yen specifically weaponizing the yen look i don't even know if i personally agree with it myself but it deserves to be heard to be molded around and then debated and disagreed with if you so would desire to
All right, so on behalf of Blockworks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. Thank you very much for following along, and we will see you next time. Thanks, bye.